morning. So I'd like to welcome uh, new friends. Thank you for joining us today. Nice to have you. Nice to have all of you. This is case 96 from the Shoyoroku. Yu Feng's disagreement. The introduction. Yunju is not concerned with relics resulting from a man's having faithfully observed the precepts. Yu Feng did not like to expire while sitting or to pass away while standing. Newton didn't need hundreds of birds to convey flowers in their beaks to honor him. Wang Po did not envy a monk's crossing over water by floating on a hat. Tell me, besides those feats, is there something superior? The main case. Attention. While Zhu Feng was at Master Shishuang's monastery, he became Shishuang's attendant. When Shishuang's passed away, the assembly wanted to appoint the head monk of the meditation hall as chief priest. Zhu Feng did not approve and so said, wait until I question him. If he understands our late master's intent, I will serve him as I did our last master. When he asked the head monk, our late master said, Seize, stop, have one thought for 10,000 years, be a cold ash, decayed tree, a strip of white silk without words upon it. He asked that and then said, what state does this illustrate? The head monk said, it illustrates the state of uniformity. Zhu Feng said, if that is so, you do not quite understand our late master's intent. So the head monk said, don't you approve of me? Prepare and bring incense to me. Zhu Feng did so. Then, burning the incense, the head monk declared, if I do not understand our late master's intent, I will not be able to expire while the incense is still burning. And so saying, he sat down and died. Zhufeng patted him on the back, saying, It's not that you can't expire while sitting or pass away while standing. It's just that you haven't seen our late master's intent even in a dream. The verse. Shi Shuang's primary point intimately transmitted to Zhu Feng. Expire with incense smoke and still it's hard to succeed the true lineage. The crane nesting on the moon has a thousand year dream. The man dwelling in the snowy hut is deluded by one colored merit. When sitting cuts off ten directions, you still bump your head. Move one step closer and you will see a flying dragon. 
So a very cold Sunday morning. In the middle of an extremely cold winter. And yet we managed to get out of the comfort of a warm house. Get in the car, warm it up, and drive over early in the morning. And it's great. It's wonderful to see that. But practice needs to extend beyond coming to the dojo, beyond location. To extend seamlessly in all ten directions. And as we spoke about a couple of weeks ago, we need to use all the ingredients of our lives for the sake of practice. Obviously, if we don't, it's not seamless. Right? We use the practice to further chop up reality. So all the ingredients, including cold winter, And to use all ingredients, we have to embrace everything. It's easy to embrace what we like. How do we embrace what we have issue with or issues with? Right? Whether it's a cold winter, an encounter with another person, or anything that pushes something in us, awakens something, some sort of resistance. Well, we talked about it last week in the Mundo, how resistance happens, guaranteed, it will happen, it will show up. How do we embrace it? Now, the immediate tendency is to avoid unpleasant situations, run away from, to escape, or to try and escape another place, to try to sometimes create in our minds another experience. But does it work? Is there another option? And does it really free us from bondage? Or is it only a temporary fix? You know, the reaction often tends to keep us in a cocoon of me and my story. So, not only that it doesn't help free us, it actually strengthens the cocoon. And often by taking actions that seem to decrease suffering at first, actually only increase them in the long run. But temporarily, they may be a better sensation, a better feeling. 
So how do we turn towards the unpleasant? Monk once asked Master Tungshan, when cold and heat come, how can we avoid them? Tungshan said, why don't you go to a place where there is no cold or heat? And the monk said, well, what is the place when, where there is no cold or heat? And Tungshan said, when it's cold, the cold kills you. And when it's hot, the heat kills you. Right? Like all of us, this monk wants freedom from discomfort, despair, self-doubt, insecurities, fear. And like many of us, he thinks that avoidance, denial, escape works. He thinks that there is another place, another time, another being, maybe another dimension. where we no longer experience challenges, difficulties. So to go to a place where there is no cold or heat actually means quite the opposite of what we want. It means to truly and fully embrace that which we want to run away from, that which we want to reject. Right? All adversities we encounter. And by embracing, by embracing, to allow that embracing to quell the resistance, And discomforts trigger resistance because it brings us face to face with the fact that reality and the self are not in alignment. And we don't like that. How do we merge reality and the self? How do we realize that the self is none other than reality? Well, what is the self? What is reality? Where is the line that separates? Where is the line that separates between what we want and what we don't want. So when we realize that we are misaligned, we feel defeated often. Now we retaliate with anger, frustration. And so Tungshan suggests that we turn to the Dharma and merge rather than deny. 
And in the case of extremely cold winter, it means to open up and expand rather than withdraw and contract. It's interesting how the tendency to contract is natural, right? You know, it's what happens when it gets cold. And the opposite happens when it gets warmer. We expand. But the contraction is beyond that reaction to the cold weather. The contraction that, we, that Tungshan speaks, speaks about is an emotional, psychological, storyline-based contraction, which only makes things worse. And I think we know that, especially in relation to cold weather. We go outside, we know it's cold, but we go outside and we express not liking it by complaining about it, either to ourselves or to others, contracting physically. It's actually interesting to see what happens when we change that. When we go out to the cold weather with different attitude, of course you gotta dress up, but with a different attitude. Rather than looking for summer in the winter, or for winter in the summer. Seeing that the two are not separated. Only the storyline separates them. Appearance do differ, but they're not separated. And the only way to see that they're not separated is to completely merge with reality. To go to a place where there is no cold or heat. To go to a place when there are no adversities. But where is that place? How do we get there? Now in dealing with the cold weather. Doesn't mean we have to become experts in dealing with extreme situations. Somebody sent me a video about the guy who, you may have heard of him, apparently has, a, has perfected a technique to be able to deal with extreme elements, such as cold or heat. And the article, actually the article was titled as Extreme Meditation, because he uses meditation as one of his techniques. And it says that, uh, this guy first caught the attention of scientists when he proved that he was able to stay submerged in ice for an hour and 53 minutes without his core body temperature changing. And since then, he's climbed Mount Everest in his shorts, resisted altitude sickness, completed a marathon in the Namibian desert with no water, and proven after being injected with bacteria uh, in a laboratory setting, that he's able to influence his autonomic nervous system and immune system at will. It's impressive, isn't it? No doubt. 
developing such abilities is it can be very useful. Right? Learning to overcome such challenges. It's great. It can be very helpful in everyday life. And of course, if you dedicate your efforts wholeheartedly to learning a skill or an ability and work on it diligently, you'll gradually get better at it. Maybe do things that will astonish other people. Right? The training per process requires cultivation of deep state of samadhi. And he was talking about that too in the article. Breath control, development of discipline, willpower. And these are similar attributes to spiritual practice. Right? What a practitioner develops during the course of ongoing committed practice. Similar to that. But is the purpose the same? Well, what is the purpose? Is that the point of wisdom tradition? Is it true that we strive to become extraordinary at one thing? And if it's true, what is it? What is it to be extraordinary? Conventionally, when we look at somebody, someone who can do these things, right? It's, it's incredible. It's astonishing, right? And extraordinary. But it's a different kind of extraordinary in relation to Zen or to spiritual practice. Master Linji was once asked if he has supernatural powers. And he said, yes, I have them. And the monk who asked said, well, what are these? He said, when I'm hungry, I eat. When I'm tired, I sleep. That's marvelous activity, he said. Supernatural powers. When I'm hungry, I eat. When I'm tired, I sleep. Well, nobody's going to write about him. Right? They won't be, you won't find any articles about this superhuman who eats when he's hungry. It's not interesting, is it? It's a lot more interesting to hear about a guy who runs a marathon without water in the desert. You know, we need to learn to become extraordinary at being completely ordinary. And that is incredible. Although for most, not quite. The incident brought up in this koan took place in China during the 9th century. And some of you may remember Shishuang from a recent Taisho, I think a few weeks ago, 
actually no, I think it was a Teisho um, Daibosatsu called Dragon Howling in the Wither Tree. Shishuang commented on that as well. So when Shishuang passed away, the congregation wanted to appoint the head monk as the chief priest. But Zhu Feng, who was Shishuang's attendant for many years, wanted to see if this guy would be able to keep the teacher's dharma alive. So he asked to test his understanding. And he used the famous saying of Shishuang. Stop, cease, have one thought for 10,000 years. Be called ash, decayed tree. A strip of white silk without words upon it. Now he quoted that saying. And then asked the head monk, what does that illustrate? And the head monk said, it illustrates the state of uniformity. And Zhu Feng said, no. You don't understand. You may have been here for a while, for years. You may have been a diligent monk. Still, you're stuck. Now, is the head monk wrong by saying it illustrates the state of uniformity? Is he wrong? This is true. The statement is not wrong. It's just partial. He may be saying something, but is he doing it? Does he understand how to live it? Now this saying, there is a saying, uh, the last line of this basically is a part of a longer saying from Shishuang, a recorded talk. And it's helpful to, to see that in its entirety. Zen Master Shishuang entered the hall and addressed the monk saying, each of you has what is fundamental. There's no point of searching for it. It's not to be found in right or wrong, nor in anything you can talk about. The entire source of the teachings of lifetime, capable of setting people's life into order, all come down to this very moment. Directly to the fact that the Dharma body has no body. This is the ultimate teaching of our school. We monks have no set path. If we have partiality, then we have strayed. We just impartial, impartially sit in the mud. Again, we just impartially sit in the mud. Delusive speech, sight, and hearing all come from the mind's intention. And then he said, 
cease, stop, have one thought for 10,000 years, be a cold ash, decayed tree, a strip, strip of white silk without words upon it. So that line was the last line of what he said before. We have no set path. There's nothing upon which to rely. So to cease, to stop, stop what? What do we have to seize? What are we doing? How do we create what we create? How do we weave, web, that we ourselves get caught up in? How do we create the extra? Here, it means to stop doing that. To stop wanting to know it by the intellect. And to be okay with not knowing. To stop maneuvering, stop trying to run away from reality. To fully embrace it. To have one thought for 10,000 years means to extend in all directions at once with a single breath, a single step. To keep returning to what? To this. What is this? I don't know. Yet I know how to return. I know how to return. I know the way back because all I need to do is not stray. Not get caught up. Not create. Right? To burn completely to be fully decayed, to allow what arises to vanish, to avoid the temptation to go with it, to add details to the storyline, to make something, to make a self out of it. <coughs> That's all it is. To allow what arises to vanish on its own. Not to give it your mouth, your facial expressions, your hands, your legs. To quietly observe it. Just observe it. Not so much in studying it, but in studying the fundamental fact that everything that arises vanishes. That's all.
then to be a strip of white silk without words upon it. Which means to be shapeshifter. To be blank. Or to assume the shape according to the need. Maizumi Roshi called it, or used to speak about that, in terms of saying that the purpose of practice is to become an idiot. Right? And Joshu, great master Joshu said, who would have thought I would become an idiot? Right? It's not, if we say the purpose of practice is to become an idiot, maybe I don't want to practice. But what does it mean to become an idiot? What does it mean a strip of white silk with no words upon it? How do we understand it? How did the head monk understand that? When it is white, brilliantly white, no fighting, no resisting, no arguing, no defending, no judging, Where will all this be? What will it stick on? No words means no words. Blank means blank. Blank is not what we think it means. And also idiot is not what we think it means. Being an idiot means allowing wisdom to come out freely means not getting in its way. Means strip of white silk with no words upon it. As he said, there is no set path, which means there are no set parameters. Any thought of partiality or judgment and we already have strayed off. And when he says, we just impartially sit in the mud, just that part of the statement, he sheds light on the entire statement and the entire koan. Impartially sit in the mud. And I think if the head monk understood this, he probably would not have chosen to expire to prove a point. He did prove a point. He did understand a strip of white silk but that's all he understood. He understood that without knowing how to live it. And that's always the missing link.
but he did expire. He was able to do that before the incense stick was burned off completely. So Feng patted him on the back saying, yeah, great job. I grant that you can do that. You're good at dying at will. How do you live it? And the footnote says, to express the whole thing must be hard. And what is the whole thing? If this is part of it, what's the other part? The verse says, Xi Shuang's primary point intimately transmitted to Zhifeng, which means he had succession. Expire with the instant smoke, and still it's hard to succeed the true lineage. The crane nesting on the moon has a thousand-year dream. The man dwelling in the snowy hut is deluded by one-colored merit. When sitting cuts off the ten directions, you still bump your head. Now the story brought up here in this koan does not negate the fact that the head monk did have deep experience of realization. He did. And he probably went through rigorous training to get to that, to experience Kensho. But he did not know how to actualize his realization. You know, to develop control over the body and mind to a point that you can stop your heart at will. Or maybe do other things that other people may consider superhuman is impressive. But it doesn't mean that the person understands how to uphold the Dharma or to be worthy of becoming a Dharma successor. My supernatural powers. Right? When hungry, you eat. When tired, you sleep. Complete idiot. The snowy hut is referring to the world of absolute. Right? That's what happens when the snow falls. A thick layer of snow makes all appearances look united. Right? It blurs the lines of images. Everything is covered with one white blanket. All things begin to look the same. And this is an essential part of practice. We have to realize all things as one. But we also know, have to know how to melt the snow. How to return to all things are different. And then, to go further, 
to go further and to realize that things are not one, nor are they different. So practice continues. And the last line of the verse points to the vital step of melting the snow. Move one step closer and you'll see a flying dragon. And it's not easy to take that step. Because you do feel actually superhuman when you experience Kensho. And because it feels so good, you don't want to move. You don't want to take another step. But it's necessary. This is stepping forward from a hundred foot pole. The flying dragon is the one who knows how to actualize the realization quietly and through sincere humility. And this is what the pointer is trying to raise. Yunju is not concerned with relics resulting from man's having faithfully observed the precepts. Jifeng did not like to expire while sitting or pass away while standing. Newton did not need hundreds of birds to convey flowers in their beaks to honor him. He did not need recognition. He did not need to be praised by others. He did not need to be seen. When you understand, you understand. Whether or not it is approved by others, whether or not other people mention your realization, your name, your story, your life, it doesn't matter. It's actually meaningless because any shred of grabbing onto or expecting recognition and the strip of white silk is no longer white. There's a stain on it. A stain that you yourself create. It must be white. Wang Po did not envy a monk's crossing over water by floating on a hat. And tell me, besides those feats, is there something superior? Now, this is from a story crossing the river that Wang Po, who was Rinzai's teacher, was once on a pilgrimage with another monk, and they were about to cross a river. Wang Po could not cross the river, and the, head, the other monk apparently had these special powers, was able to glide across the water over his hat. And then, from the other side, he told Wang Po to hurry up and cross the river as well. Seeing this, Wang Po said in anger, If I had known you were such a fellow, 
I would have broken both your legs. And hearing this, the other monk said in his praise, What a great dharma vessel you are. This is great power. To live and die without making a fuss. To live when it's time to live and to die when it's time to die. Without wanting to be remembered by others. Without wanting anything other than this. And there's no other embracing. We can't embrace anything, whether it's winter, another person, a situation, unless we understand that. We embrace with stipulations, with judgments. We still want something. There's a story that Yamada Roshi uh, wrote about in relation to this koan, <coughs> but Yamamoto Genpo Roshi and Soen Roshi, who was not a Roshi at that time, you may remember Soen Roshi, actually, the name, from our connection with uh, Daibosatsu. So they were both traveling together on a very crowded train after the war in Japan. We finally managed to get a seat. Yamamoto Roshi scrunched up in the corner to take up as little room as possible. But Soen's son, and he was, as he was called back then, sat in stately dignity in Zazen. When they finally returned to the temple, Yamamoto Genpo Roshi scolded the young monk, saying, What do you think you're doing putting on airs like that? When the train is so crowded, you should make every effort to not be an annoyance to other people and take up as little room as possible. How inappropriate it is to put on the airs of an august monk for all the world to see. Look at me. He did later on become, he became a great Zen master. Which again, sometimes it's good to see that there's hope. You know, we get caught up in, in this silliness. But if we study it, if we see, look at it, if we, if we know how to meet it, then it's an opportunity for growth, for not just growth, for an opening. It's an opportunity. So Master Tungshan saying, when the cold comes, let it be so cold that it kills you, is the same as Shishuang's seas stop, have one thought for 10,000 years, be a cold ash, decayed tree, a strip of white silk without words upon it. But if we don't investigate the meaning of being a strip of white silk, 
blank without words on it if we don't investigate that. We may die without knowing how to come to life. And that will be a shame. Now, to burn up completely means to truly be alive and to celebrate every moment, every moment, with appreciation through service to others in whatever capacity we can. Every step to burn up now we chant in the sandokai light and darkness are a pair like the foot before and the foot behind in walking it's too bad that the monk did not realize that both feet both legs are the same body and both are needed for walking. Both light and darkness are needed. They're both needed for us to realize that eating when we're hungry and going to sleep when we're tired is both marvelous activity. Thank you.